If you open your Bibles, if you haven't already, to chapter 25 of 1 Samuel, and we're going to pick it up at verse 1. Now Samuel died, and all of Israel assembled and mourned for him, and they buried him in his house at Ramah. So we can just kind of pause right there. Just to, it's, almost, it's almost just like a, a little mini thing, just between the two chapters. So basically David or, or Samuel has passed away, um, led, led a full life, and as we find out later in Chronicles, all the things that he did towards the temple, saving things for the temple, and he had a, a, an amazing life, and he was the one that anointed um, David. But it says all of Israel gathered together, which what I'd imagine is a lot of people. Ramah was actually, um, it was northwest of the Dead Sea. So if you picture the Dead Sea, it was in the nor- just northwest. And that was actually Samuel's home, or Samuel, yeah, Samuel's hometown. And that's where he was from. So hence the fact that he was buried there. Um, so that sort of is the little precursor in there. We start with that in chapter 25, and then it kind of continues. We assume that David was probably there uh, celebrating um, the, the, the life of Samuel. And then from there, if we, if we kind of pick it back up, let's go down to um, let's see. Well, it sort of continues. It says, Then David rose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. Um, and it almost seems as if that was just right down the street. But if, if I looked on the, the little map of Israel, Paran was 75 miles southwest of Ramah. So we don't know how light, it just almost seems as if David just rose up the next day and went there. But 75 miles on foot. With, we'll find out to be with 600 men is quite a journey. So he kind of went down sort of parallel with the, the Dead Sea and was down in the wilderness. He, remember, he's on the run from, from Saul. So that's where he is. So let's kind of continue along there. I just want to kind of give you the, the, uh, the, the quick summary of where, where he was. I like to see, when I look at the scripture, I like to kind of read and, and I, I like to know where they're going so I know how, how long things take. And so that's sort of what I did there. Um, okay, so he rose and went down to the wilderness of Paran, which is just a vast area. So then we get into a narrative here of this man that lived, that was down there. And there was a man, and pick it up in verse two, in Moan or Maon, whose business was in Carmel, and Carmel was just to the north uh, of the wilderness. Uh, the man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. Uh, he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now the name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife, Abigail. The woman was discerning and beautiful, but the man was harsh and badly behaved. I'd like to stop right there and just notice the contrast between the two. There were very few women. I think there were only three women, three or four women in, in the Bible that were ever described as beautiful. Um, I think maybe it was Ruth, Esther. There was a few, but she's one of them. So, so that you have this striking contrast between this wise woman and beautiful woman and this absolute pinhead. In fact, I, I, I looked through this, if I could find it here, so here's the contrast. Let me just kind of, <laughs> I wrote these things down. And these are just things that I found in the text in chapter 25. So Nabal, he was rich. And when I would say rich, he's not rich in character. He was just wealthy, okay? He was harsh. This is all from the text. Badly behaved, it said, worthless, 
foolish, his, his name actually meant foolish. That was what his name meant, and he was a drunk. Abigail, beautiful, discerning, wise, and humble. And we'll see, uh, we'll see a lot of other characteristics in her. So why the two of them together? I don't know. Sometimes that happens in life. Uh, God is sovereign. We know that. And as we kind of read through this text, it might uh, become a little more clear. Um, but that's sort of an interesting contrast between the two characters. They were really completely at odds. And uh, in this day and age, it probably wouldn't have lasted more than a few months. But nonetheless, she was faithful and she was discerning. And so it's a really neat story. So let's kind of uh, continue on. Um, okay, we'll pick it up, let's see, at verse 4. David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep. Let me just pause right there and just give you some context. The time of shearing sheep in that region was really a time of celebration. Uh, when they sheared sheep, it was a, a sign of the wealth, and they would have typically have feasts. Uh, during that time, and so that was sort of the, an understanding of what was going on. So during that time, during the shearing in Carmel, which is north of where he probably had, because David was down in uh, the wilderness where the sheep were, and then they had taken the sheep up to Carmel to actually be, to have the shearing done. And then there was a celebration, and everybody ate, and it was a wonderful time. So just get, to get an understanding of what was going on right there. So David was aware of this, um, so he sent... Let me just pause right there. So he sent 10 young men. And David said to the young men, go up to Carmel and go to Nabal and greet him in my name. And thus you shall greet him. And here's what David told them to say. Peace be to you and peace be to your house and peace be to all that you have. So right there, David was, was courteous. He was gentle about it. And in that custom, it was not out of, out of the ordinary to actually ask someone for favor for to, to participate in their feast. Because um, I'm not sure if I've gotten there in my notes yet, but what happened was when David was down in the, the, the wilderness, where he was uh, basically on the run from Saul, they encountered Nabal and all of his sheep. And so it was thousands of sheep. And so David and his men... 600 men offered protection. And it wasn't some like, like mafia thing, like, hey, we're going to protect you, and in return, here's what we want, stakes at, you know, at the Libanatis. Uh, but what we wanted is basically it was just customary for that to occur. If the, and, and David and his men guarded and kept watch. And we'll get into that. In fact, if we look, I think it's verse, I'm sorry, chapter, uh, yeah, verse 16. If just jump ahead to 16 real quick. This is some of Nabal's men, or one of Nabal's men, describing to Abigail. I don't want to jump ahead, but just look at 16. They were a wall to us both night and day. All the while, we were, keep, we were with them keeping the sheep. So again, David and his men were guarding, helping protect the, Nabal's sheep, all of his flock from other, you know, other men, uh, people stealing sheep, um, Perhaps even the, the lions or whatever was roaming the region. So it wasn't out of it wasn't out of the ordinary for David to uh, for anyone to ask for them to help participate in the feast, right? So, so when I'm reading this, I don't want you to think like uh, we protected your sheep. We need something back. So uh, this is kind of how it went. So he said, "Peace to you, and peace be to your house, and peace be to all that you have. I hear that you have shears." 
Now your shepherds have been with us, referring to David's, um, and we did them no harm, uh, and they missed nothing all the time they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we come on feast day. Please give them whatever you have at hand to your servants and to your son, David. So fair enough. It's a reasonable request. You know, it's, again, it was tradition, and I think that would, should have gone pretty smoothly, and it was a, a very innocuous uh, pleading. So <laughs> here's the response. Well, that, that was actually what David asked them to do. So in, in verse 9, it says, When David's young men came, they said all this to Nabal in the name of David, and then they waited. I'm not sure what that looked like, but they waited, and it might have been a, there might have been silence in the room for a while. And Nabal answered David's servant. Here's Nabal, okay? Remember, this guy's not really, uh, all to, he's unhinged. He said, who is David? Who is this son of Jesse? Let me stop right there. He knew who he was. Almost all of Israel knew who, who the, the king in wait was. That, that was simply, that was a slam. He knew who David was. And so he was just basically taunting. So if you continue on, he says, and here's what, here's what really, here's the knife in the back. There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. Now, that was a direct blow to David because David was faithful to Saul. Just in the chapter before, we knew that what, Saul, what David did with Saul and spared his life, David, had, David understood that Saul was king currently, and he, and he knew to honor that based on what the Lord had directed him to do. So this was just, this is just Nabal really digging in, going, Oh, people leave their masters all the time. David didn't do that, so it was really a direct insult. So I find that pretty interesting. Uh, he said, shall, he, shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that, I, that I've killed from my shears and give it to men who come from I do not know where? Uh, so let me just stop right there and catch up here on my notes. I don't want to pass anything up. Sometimes you read a text and you dig in and then you write these notes out and then you kind of get lost in it all. Um, but... Uh, yeah, I think I've already moved past that. So anyway, let's continue on here. Um, so David's young men turned away and came back, to, came back and told him all this. Now, this is the point right here. I think I've caught up with my notes. This is the point where things go south for David. Remember, we talked about David on this journey of becoming king, and he he had some error in his ways when he, was, he lied a few chapters back about why he was somewhere, and then he did some good things. And his, it's almost like this, this, as God was preparing him for kingship over the 16-year period that he was waiting, um, he, he had some moments. And, and, you know, again, we go back to someone, God, David being a man after God's own heart. How can that be with all the things that he did and has done? Uh, but we see that this is one of those moments in between, sandwiched in between two chapters, 24 and 26, where just David just goes south quickly. So let me just read here um, what he says. Here's David. So David said, we'll pick it up in 13. And David said to his men, every man strap on his sword. And every man, of the, every man of them strapped on his sword. David also strapped on his sword and about 400 men. So they left 200 behind. It says 400 men uh, went up after David while 200 men remained with the baggage. So we've got this huge encampment. If David was going over there to just 
talk to Nabal or give him a what for, or give him a sock in the mouth, that would be one thing. He would just go. But he took 400 men. His intention was to slaughter Nabal and his entire family. That was, that's where he was. He was taking a, a, personal, a personal vengeance at this point. David went south. He was, he was off, the, off the radar. Which brings me, um, at, at such a pivotal moment like this, when we see David, he's anointed by, by the Lord. We know he's the, uh, the absolute uh, man after God's own heart. And then he uh, does something good in the previous chapter. And then right now, really just becomes unhinged. He loses control. And it makes me wonder, um, is there a time in our lives where we've simply just lost control and we simply uh, don't heed the word of the Lord or we make a, a quick decision? Yeah, yeah today, me, I, I did that, you know, um, or um, just make a rash decision and we don't stop and wait and listen to what the Lord has for us. I'm sure we've all done that before and we've all learned our lessons from it. Um, you know, the other thing that we'll get to um, is that in this, I think partly what this might have been based on what David knew was said about him, because his men gave him a direct uh, talking about what, what Nabal had said. I think it was really uh, David's pride was hurt. He was a bit selfish. You know, who, who is this guy saying that I've deserted Saul? I've not done this. Who is this guy saying he doesn't know who I am? I think David was a little full of himself early on, and I think that's part of what happened just based on the narrative here. In fact, when I, when I read through this, this, these chapters, I, I often I have several commentaries. Uh, I always learn from Pastor Greg that when you read a script, when you're going to teach a scripture passage, you just simply read it first, and then you read it again, and then you read it again, and just read the narrative and just understand what happened in the whole picture. It's almost like a little mini movie on Lifetime, what's going on here, right? And then once you understand that, Look at some commentaries. See what people from the past have said about this. Because if I ever come up with something that I think no one's ever seen, then that's dangerous. We need to look back at some of the things that, uh, that other people have written from, even from the Puritan era, to I love a Matthew Henry commentary, which is, he was, you know, a couple hundred years ago he wrote these things, and then more contemporary stuff, and they typically all align. And so you want to make sure that when you're looking at commentary and, and understanding what's going on in Scripture passages, that they're all pretty much in line with each other. If I come up with some harebrained idea that, that I think I see in this passage, it's probably not right. We want, to, we want to understand and we want to stay true to the text of what's going on. Now, we might have different, different applications of this, but we need to stick true you know, with, what, with what's written here. So um, as we look at this, um, yeah, again, we, we want to look back. And you know, I always try to, I, I tend to want to talk about the historical aspect of something. But sometimes we need to stop and listen and think about what, what is the narrative teaching? What are some things that we can see in our own lives? Have we been like this? Have we been impetuous? Have we made crazy decisions? And so obviously the answer is yes. So. Um, well, let's move forward in this. I just want to continue on to see uh, where this text is going. Um, so let's pick it up at 14. So that, that, that was where David ended up. But let's go now that it's almost as if the screen switch. If we're watching a movie, here we pan over to, is, to Abigail's house and what's going on there. So here's Abigail, Nabal's wife. Remember, she's the lovely one. Um, but one of the young men this would be Nabal's young men, told Abigail, Nabal's wife, Behold, David sent messengers out of the wilderness 
to greet our master, and he railed at them. And when I, that term railed at them was, was a really that's strong language. Uh, Yet the men were very good to us, and, and we suffered no harm. And we did not miss anything when they were in the fields as long as they went with them. So in other words, wherever we went, down in the wilderness, David's men always had our backs. You know, and she, he's, so this guy's explaining this to Abigail, who obviously is going to receive this a lot differently. They were a wall to us both by night and by day. All the while, we were there with them keeping the sheep. Now, therefore, know this and consider what you should do, for harm is dis- determined against our master and against all his house. Remember, David, 400 men going down, not just to have something with a ball, but his entire household. Uh, and he is such a worthless man, worthless. That's, did I have that in there? Worthless? Yeah. <laughs> that no one can speak to him. So obviously there's another attribute. He was hard-headed. He didn't want to be spoken to. Nabal was just a bad guy. I don't want to beat that dead horse too much longer. Then Abigail made haste and took 200 loaves, two skins of wine, and five sheep already prepared, and five seeds of parched grain, and a hundred clusters of raisins, and two hundred cakes of figs, and laid them on the poor donkeys. So I added poor in there. So that's a lot of food. Clearly, they were a very wealthy family. For her to, for her to have all of that at, at just at her fingertips, that was quite a bit of, of uh, wealth in that family to have these things. But it's interesting how quickly she made a decision. It was immediate. And she knew what to do. She was obviously a, a woman after, uh, after God. So, uh, and she said to her young men, this is in verse 19, go on before me and behold, I come after you. And then it says, but she did not tell her husband Nabal. Now, sometimes you might look at that scripture, or someone might look at that and go, well, shouldn't she have you know, submitted to her husband and and really told him, and not, she, I mean, she withheld truth. Uh, but the fact is, in this passage, in this narrative, she knew Nabal's heart, and she knew she had to obey God over Nabal. And so this was a situation where she chose to obey God over her husband in this matter, in particular here. Um, so I just find that as an interesting thing, that, that's, that's basically what, this, that, what that said there. Um, let's go back to uh, verse 20 here. And as she rode on the donkey and came down under the cover of the mountain, behold, David and his men came down toward her, and she met them. So just to kind of stop right there, basically they were in an area where it was sort of, they met kind of in a valley between two mountains because David was encamped on a certain place, and she was coming from a certain place, and they kind of met in the, in the middle, divine intervention there. Uh, so now the, verse 21 here, is almost a reiteration, almost a, a narrative, as if you hear it reading, uh, of what David was saying. Uh, so I'll just kind of read through that. Now David had said, and this is kind of repeating what he had said, Surely in vain I have guarded all that this fellow has in the wilderness, so nothing was missed of all that belonged to him, and he has returned me evil for good. Uh, God do so to the enemies of David, and more also, if by morning I leave as much as one male of all who belong to him. So here's David again, again, just kind of wrapped up in his own little tirade, wrapped up in his, his, his own little vengeance, his own personal vendetta, which is very dangerous. And that just sort of reiterates and reassures us that that is what was on his heart. Uh, 
So this is the point at which Abigail actually does meet up with David. So let's pick it up at 23 here. And it says, When Abigail saw David, she hurried and got down from the donkey and fell before David on her face and bowed to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, On me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. Please let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant. Let not my Lord regard this worthless fellow Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Again, his name meant fool. He was a foolish one. Uh, Nabal, yeah, she says, Nabal is his name and folly is with him. So if I, somebody's pause right there. She's, at this point, if you can picture it, she's simply pleading with him. She knows who David is. She knows his lot and where he's going. He knows he's going to be the next king. She knows her husband has made a, a huge mistake. So she's sort of pleading with him at this point and intervening. And let's just kind of continue where that text goes. But I, your servant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. In other words, if I was there, she, she probably things might have been different. But as we know, they weren't. Now then, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, because the Lord has because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from saving uh, with your own hand, now then let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to my Lord be as Nabal. And now let this present that your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespasses of your servant, for the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house, because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord, and evil shall not be found in you so long as you live. There's a lot, a lot in there. That's when, when, when Abigail was meeting with David, certainly, number one, she knew who he was. She knew uh, the positional aspect of, of how things should be with David, and she was honestly just uh, speaking words that I think probably surprised David and caught him off guard a little bit. But truly, I think as we kind of continue on, you'll read that how, how much David recognized this and things have changed. She says, if men rise up to pursue you and to seek your life, the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living in the, of the, living in the care of the Lord your God. And the lives of your enemy he shall sling out from the hollow of a sling. This is interesting words here. Uh, the metaphor, I wrote this down, of a custom, of this is what was used, the metaphor was of, they used to bind their valuables in, 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 uh, in, uh, in a bundle of things. So they would have their valuable objects, whatever it was, in the middle of a giant bundle to protect them. And that's a, it's a direct metaphor with Christ, God, how he protects us and keeps us in the center of his heart. And also it talks about, in fact, if you could just jump real quickly to, to Psalm, Psalm chapter, chapter 2. I think that's what we... No, I'm sorry, chapter 3. Psalm 3, just kind of jump over there real quickly. I just love the analogy that she uses, though, that, that the life of my Lord, the life of David, it says, shall be bound in the bundle of the living in the care of the Lord your God. So that's, the very, so that's those who follow the Lord and the lives of your enemies. He shall sling out as from the hollow of a sling. He'll cast them out. So if you look at the psalm, this is written by David, Psalm 3. And this was written as he was 
uh, fleeing from Absalom and his son. This is much farther down the road. But if you look at how it's written, it's very similar to what uh, we have here. In fact, many of the Psalms, it's, it's very similar. It says, uh, O Lord, how many, of our fo- of how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me. In other words, that sur- you surround me. My glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Again, the, the, the picture here is that God protecting that what Abigail said has come to fruition many times in David's life. And he's reiterating this in the Psalms that he's written about the Lord surrounding him and protecting him as if in, in that center of that bundle because we're valuable, right? So, and then it continues along. Um, verse 7, Arise, my Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord, your blessing on all your people. I find it interesting that in the Psalms, you'll often see, because the Psalms parallel, and you know, I think a few weeks back, David was reading a Psalm that, was, that occurred, that David wrote while he was in the cave. And that was really interesting to see what David wrote while he was there as we went through the narrative. And here again, the words that Abigail used were very interesting uh, and very strong metaphors. And you can see later in David's life, these things actually came to fruition. And that's how David pleaded, Lord, keep us in the center of, of that bundle. Keep, keep, keep me strong and fling my enemies like a stone gone. And that clearly is what happened in much of David's life. And it's what can happen in our lives as well. Well, let's continue on. And when the Lord, this is Abigail continuing to speak. And when, the, and when the Lord has done to my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you, and has appointed you prince over Israel, my Lord shall have no cause of grief or pangs of conscience for having shed blood without cause for my Lord, working salvation himself. And when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, this is a little confusing, you have to look for the uppercase. When she's saying my Lord, uh, she's talking about David uh, because he is in a, in a, over her. Uh, and then the Lord is obviously capital, that's the Lord. Uh, and then uh, has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your servant. Um, this woman from the narrative here is incredibly wise. What she is saying is just beautiful. And it's interesting because she knew who David was, but at the same time was fearless in proclaiming truth to David at this point. So this one woman stopping David from doing what it's going to do is, I think, very powerful. As someone that's filled, obviously, with, uh, with truth and knowledge and wisdom, I, I just think is amazing. Um, and here's, here's, where, here's where it changes. Here's where David goes from this bloodthirsty, selfish, prideful, it, it came out in him. This is where, this is where the bomb drops, where he, he realizes that what was going on was of himself. It was selfish. It was wrong. He lost control. I, I, this, the way this is written is beautiful. Here's David. And David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. So David recognizes right away that she is sent by the Lord, which is very clear. Blessed be your discretion, and blessed be you who have kept me this day from blood guilt 
And that's what, that, what, that's what referring right back up to what Ab, Abigail was saying about having a guilty conscience his whole life for doing something like this. So she saved him from this through the work of the, of, of the Lord, uh, who have kept me to stay from the blood guilt and from working salvation with my own hand. For surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, who has restrained me from hurting you, unless you had hurried up to come to meet me, truly by morning here that had, truly by morning there had been, there had not been left to Nabal so much as one male. Uh, so again, David kind of is again acknowledging the fact that had you not come to stop me, I would have wiped out just not only Nabal and not only all of his men, but his entire family, including Abigail. Then David received her from her hand what she had brought him, the gifts, the foods. And he said to her, go up in peace to your house. See, I have obeyed your voice and I have granted your petition. So that sort of concludes the, the main part of the text. So basically what we have is, just in a summary, is David flying off the hinge and then being corrected by the Lord through Abigail in a very calm and wise and discerning and loving manner. Um, it, I, I, it's, it's just interesting. I, it makes me think and wonder um, how often we do that, obviously, but how, how often are we open to listening to people? For opening, if we're listening to people that uh, can speak into our lives, do we have anybody that can speak into our lives? When we are uh, at a frail moment or when we are uh, being a bit harsh or drastic or uh, acting as if David was you know, acting just rash and compulsively and, and a selfish behavior, do we have people in our lives that when they say something to us and they offer us some uh, correction, how do we receive that? So number one, do we have people in our lives that, that can do that? I think it's important that we all do. Um, I was talking to someone earlier before we started tonight about uh, having how important it is to have a church body and a church family. Uh, oftentimes uh, when people become isolated, they become very myopic and they become kind of into, into themselves and into what they do. And they, they, I think the longer they are that way, they take correction less, uh, less and less. And I think it's important to have not only a church body for support and uh, for uh, you know, camaraderie, but it's for direction and correction and discipline. And I think God can use uh, the body of, of believers as uh, discipline for us and correction for us. And I just wonder, as I, I read through this whole passage, and I know I just kind of ripped through that pretty quickly, but um, where are we? What, what are we? How open are we to correction? You know, um, and, and again, do we have people in our lives that, that we can uh, ask questions yeah. to or, or stop and go, am I making the right decision here? Or did I fly off the handle there? And yeah, you did. And here's, here's what you might could have done. And uh, I think it's important uh, as we look at a few things. Um, and that's one of them in this passage that, that really kind of came out uh, in many of the commentaries. And it's sort of obvious, you know, that, that we need to be open and discerning. We need to be not we need to be of self-control, but we also need to listen and to be open to correction from other believers that we know are living the truth that would uh, be able to speak in our lives. So let's kind of continue on here. It says, And Abigail came to Nabal 
So we're, we're actually shifting gears quite a bit here. Um, I don't know if it was the next day. I don't know if it was the next week uh, because there were people, you know, that David was still quite a far away. He probably had to go back and return to the rest of his encampment. But it says here, Abigail came to Nabal, and behold, he was holding a feast. That's the feast we talked about. After the shearing, that's, you're going to have a, a big feast, um, like the feast of a king, it says. And Nabal's heart was very merry, very, very merry within him, for he was very drunk. So she told him nothing, because what, what good would that have done, speaking to someone that's out of their mind? Uh, so she told him nothing until the morning light. In the morning, when the wine had gone out of him, in other words, when he was sober in the ball, his wife told him these things, all the things that she recounted about David sparing her life or David wanting to kill Nabal and all these things. And it says, his heart died within him, and he became as a stone. Let's just stop right there real quick. Um, a lot of people say that, um, uh, some of the commentary I read, some of the theologians say that he may have had a stroke out of shock. Maybe he had an aneurysm, maybe he blew a blood vessel, but he just kind of, something medically happened where he just went paralyzed and stayed that way. Um, and it says about 10 days later, the Lord struck Nabal and he died. <laughs> Seems like every time I teach, the Lord's striking people dead. <laughs> I don't know why that is. He struck all the, the, uh, the Israelites dead. Anyway, um, but, you know, and then we said, well, what? Sometimes it brings up questions like, why? What, what's, couldn't he have had a second chance? He was, after all, her husband, you know? I mean, maybe he just, I don't know, maybe he just had a bad moment. Maybe he could have been corrected, but the Lord chose and the Lord had a sovereign plan, obviously, as we continue on, that this is what was going to happen. Um, and see, so struck Nabal dead. Who are we to question that? When David heard, this is verse 29, Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be the Lord who has avenged the insult I received at the hand of Nabal and, kept, and has kept back his servant from wrongdoing. The Lord has returned the evil of Nabal on his own head. So basically, David was simply saying, Thank you. Lord God, what you did in my life, and thank you for allowing or for, for having vengeance where it should be, and that's the Lord's, not in my hands. And so he's celebrating at this point. He said, and this is, and then David said and spoke to Abigail to take her as his wife. That's the end of 39. I find that very interesting. Um, and then let's continue on. When the servants of David came to Abigail at Carmel, they said to her, David has sent us to you to take you to, take you to him as his wife. So I'm going to stop it right there real quickly. Um, a lot of people don't... See, David had... Well, David had many wives. And this is not something that... Uh, a lot of times, narrative is not normative. In other words, things that occurred in Scripture, some things are normative the Ten Commandments, you know, some of the laws. But not everything that's in the narrative is normative. In other words, uh, today we don't have, well, some people have more than one wife, but typically this was something that was done. It wasn't necessarily a sin at the point back then because it wasn't really addressed during that time of David. But it brought, we see as we, as we continue to read through this, uh, the multiple wives brought on a lot of hardship for David. And so it wasn't necessarily a sin to have multiple wives as it's looked down upon now. Obviously, that's not 
what God desires. Uh, but back then, it was kind of the norm in a way, uh, although you can see, as we, like I said, I'm not going to get ahead of ourselves, but it did bring on a lot of trouble uh, for David. So, uh, at the, and again, and real quickly at this time, this would have really been David's first or second first wife because he was married to Michal, who was Saul's uh, daughter. And, but during this time that David and Saul were on the outs, Saul gave Michal to someone else. And I think that's even actually in the, in the narrative here. Um, and so really this was David's second first wife, and he ends up having more wives. But I just wanted to talk about that real quick because people don't understand, well, why could he have so many wives? And what was the issue with that? Was that a problem? And really, no, not back then. It was not. It wasn't necessarily a sin because it wasn't addressed to those people. So just to clear that up. Um, and here's on, I love this, at 41. It's almost like a Lifetime movie. And she rose and bowed her face to the ground and said, Behold, your handmaid is a servant to wash the feet of the servants of my Lord. And Abigail hurried and rose and mounted a donkey and her five young women attended to her. She followed the messengers of David and became his wife. And then in verse 43, it says, David also took Ahinoam of Jezreel, and both of them became his wives. So he's up to three now, sort of, because one's been given away. Saul had given Michal to his daughter, David's wife, to Palti, the son of Laish, who was of Galim. Um, so huh, it's like a little movie, wasn't it? Like a little mini movie. So it starts out with David, um, you know, do, thinking what he's going to do and, and try to do, do a good deed and to help these men. And then David gets his feelings hurt and his pride hurt. David goes and gets out of hand and wants to go destroy and kill. And, uh, and then Abigail, being used of the Lord, intervenes and changes David's heart immediately. And again, this is one of those, one of those moments in David's life, just like our lives, where we are, we're walking through and being corrected as we go. And that, in our lives, that's called sanctification, right? So sanctification, in fact... If you can, go ahead and we're done with Samuel. I'm going to go to, real quickly, go to Hebrews, if you, if you don't mind, as we kind of begin to close this down a little bit. Go to Hebrews chapter, chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Now, if you don't know about Hebrews chapter 12, this is, this is really discussing and talking about, in a nutshell, it's talking about sanctification. And if you're not really quite sure what that is, that's basically our, our pursuit of holiness while we're here on this earth. So there's justification, which, which is instant. There's sanctification, which is our entire lives up until glorification when we actually meet, meet the Lord, right? So sanctification is simply... The Holy Spirit and God working in our hearts as we, as we run the race of faith, basically. And so David, as he was going through his life and being prepared in, this, in the text that we just read and that we'll continue to read, we can sort of apply those things in our lives because we are currently right now on that race of faith. We're, God is moving us towards something and he's directing us and he's correcting us and he's disciplining us. And as we go along, if we just kind of, let me read this real quickly. And it says in chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, 
And let me go back real quickly. If you just flip back to chapter 11, verse, uh, oh goodness. The cloud of witnesses. Yeah, here we go. 32, chapter 11, verse 32, the cloud of witnesses. It's not just people you know, cheering us on from heaven like some people think. The cloud of witnesses, and let me just read it at 32. And what more shall I say? After this point, he's already talking about Abraham and all these, uh, and Moses, the fathers, faith of the fathers. He says, for, t- for time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, and David, and Samuel, and the prophets. So right there, David and Samuel and we flip back to chapter 12, they are those who are in the cloud of witnesses. Those are the ones that have gone before us. Those are the men of faith that we are to strive towards. And so what's starting here when this little, in this little passage that talks about our race of faith, it's saying, therefore, right? So it says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a... In other words, since we saw what Moses have, had, have done, has done, since we saw what David did, since we saw how Samuel lived, it says, let us also lay aside every weight. What that, mean, what that word weight means right there is another word is encumbrance, right? So as we walk this, this, this road of faith, just as David did, what are some things that maybe David had to lay down? Now, an encumbrance or a weight is not necessarily a sin, but what gets in the way of our walk with the Lord? What, what are the things? Is it too much Facebook? Is it too much social media time? Is it, is it too much shopping? Is it too much, you know, idolizing your vehicle? What is it? What are the things that aren't necessarily, well, maybe idolizing would be a sin, but just the things that just get in the way? What keeps you from coming, on a, coming to Bible study on a Thursday night? You know, what, so what are those things? So what were the things in David's life? I'm sure there were some things. He, he had an ego problem. Sometimes it necessarily didn't go to the sin level, but maybe it was just things that he had to wrestle with, just like we do. So as we continue on, uh, it says to lay aside every weight and sin, which clings to us so closely. Well, we know that David's sins were many. They, he obviously would deal with adultery. He would deal with pride, so many things. That's why when I think about David being a man after God's own heart, I kind of feel good in a way. Because I feel like we all kind of struggle with so many of these strange things. And to, to have someone that like David, who's a man after God's own heart, that wrestled with all of these things that we wrestle with. Sometimes some things we don't, but a lot of things. So it says here, just as David did and during this walk, it says that we need to set aside every weight and every sin that clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So as we look at David's life, and as we continue to study him and and notice his ups and downs and his failures and his his victories through the Lord, uh, I think sometimes we need to... uh, if anything else, this made me kind of think of when I wrote some things down at the end of, you know, how do you conclude something like this? We, we know the narrative, we know what happened, but how do we apply this? And I think we all need to continue to realize that just as David lived his life and was, was being honed to be king of Israel after a man of God, after God's own heart, we too are, until we get to glorification, until we see the Lord face to face, 
we are to be striving for holiness. We're to be setting aside the things that keep us from focusing on Christ. We need to set aside the sins that are besetting to us. What things do we wrestle with? We should always be better than we were the chapter before, right? I know David goes like this, but we should always be, we should be, we should be having victory over sin. Just because we're sinning doesn't mean we're, uh, in fact, because we are sinning, we're wrestling with sin, that's just a good indicator that we are, uh, we are sanctified, we are we're saved, so to speak, because if we weren't, we weren't wrestling with those things, then I would be concerned. I said that just a few nights back when we had a new members class. If you're sinning and struggling with it, then you, you know you're saved because you know that you're dealing with something that you know is wrong. So, but as we do this, we should be sinning less and less as we move forward. And on that, it says, calls it a, the race of faith. It's moving towards keeping our eyes on Christ. And I think the more we see that David acknowledged the Lord and kept his eyes on the Lord, the more that he, I don't want to say won, but the more he was successful, the more he had victory, the more he focused on Christ. Um, so just some parting thoughts. I, I just wrote a few things down here. Um, I, I had written down why was Nabal struck dead. Uh, same reason that, you know, I don't remember the guy's name that reached out and grabbed the ark. Who was was it Uriah? Yeah, he just, with all good intentions, did something and boom, he was dead. And then the people that celebrated after the ark came home, they didn't celebrate properly. God, they're dead. So Nabal, obviously God had a plan. That was all part of it. And I think perhaps um, in this passage, why Nabal was struck dead is because God wanted to show David that vengeance is mine, thus saith the Lord. And it wasn't in David's hands. Um, I'd like to point out Abigail's humility and strength. It's beautiful. Uh, the way she, her character, and um, I just was really moved by that. Um, also with David, I think as we looked at that one passage, after Abigail spoke to him and laid it out pretty clearly for him, I think that was the very beginning of a contrite heart. David was known for having a contrite heart. In other words, a heart that was truly apologetic, truly um, sorry, so to speak. And I think at that point, you could see the, the wheels clicking and what David said. And that was the beginning of his contrite heart. Because we know in Psalm 51, after he had had the affair with Bathsheba, um, that's all about a contrite heart. And he really had one there. But I think that these were the beginnings as we see in this. Um, Self-control, I wrote down, waiting in the Lord. Uh, I think we can often act in haste. There's another thing that this passage kind of teaches. Um, and I think it's important to wait on the Lord. There's many psalms that talk about, most of the psalms were written by David, that talk about waiting in the Lord and pacing ourselves and, and not being so quick to move. But, but in any decision we make, we need to stop and slow down and wait on the Lord and, and ask ourselves, is this something I'm doing or is this something that I need to let the Lord work in? Um, heeding wise counsel, we talked about that at the beginning. Having someone around you that can really uh, pour into you that you can you can uh, talk about and ask honest opinions from. That's a, a very important thing I think to have, and I think that comes from being in fellowship in a body of Christ and being in a Bible study together, uh, being in a men's group, whatever it is, a women's uh, ministry. Uh, you can talk to people. I think it's it's critical. Um, and then the very last thing is just recognizing God's hand of intervention. I think we need to be in tune with that and understand when God is. Uh, prompting us or moving. A lot of people talk about God's will. I know Brenton preached about God's will a few weeks back, and um, 
people often wonder, what in the world is God's will for my life? And they, they, they test God and they put out fleeces and they, well, if this door opens that, well, I really think it's a little more simple than that. I think that as we lead our lives, God, um, and we lead, we, we just live our lives having godly wisdom, using the wisdom that's found in the scriptures from, from what we know in the text, and then simply living within God's moral framework and compass, we just kind of live our lives. Some things might be a little more obvious to us that, that God is moving or leading us, but more than likely, it's not that complicated. We just simply live in a, in a godly manner, and we live in godly wisdom with godly morals, and oftentimes that's where God wants you to be, right in the center of His will. And so I think that's uh, an interesting uh, way to look at it. So it's really all I have tonight. I think it's a neat passage. I don't want to get ahead, but, but uh, next week, uh, David is a little bit better. He's a little less, <laughs> little less naughty, and he, uh, it's, it's interesting watching him go up and down. But uh, all in all, it's just been a fun study, and I, I hope that there's something that, uh, that you could take from this tonight. Again, I, as I was going through it, I thought, well, it's an interesting passage, and we watched David vacillate, but I, I just wonder, you know, maybe the takeaway in our lives is how are we in tune with God, and, and what are we... Uh, what areas of our life are we, do we recognize that we're a little quick to, a little hasty in? And other areas we need to stop and slow down and wait on the Lord. So let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for this evening and bringing us all out tonight, Lord. Um, thank you for the rains this week that we've had, Father. Lord, I ask that you kind of hold, maybe hold them off a little bit so people can get home. Um, but uh, thank you for the rains that we've that been much needed. Lord, thank you for the truth of your scripture. Thank you that even in a simple passage in the middle of Samuel, Lord, that we can find truth, that we can apply, Lord, to our lives. There's a lot in there, Lord, but I just appreciate uh, and uh, just to have, being able to have your word and to have an understanding of it and uh, having you speak to us through your word, Father. Go with us tonight. Uh, keep us all safe. Bring us together on Sunday, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.